Welcome to FNI Performance Podcast, powered by SimTech Dealer Services, your source for everything FNI. Real talk, real experts, real results. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, what's going on, FNI Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of the FNI Performance Podcast, sponsored by SimTech Dealer Services. Today, I am joined with by two very special guests. Denis, which I got that name right this time, so I'm so excited, and Nicole. Hey, thank you both for taking the time to jam with me today. Thanks, Jason. Glad hey, to be here. For everybody for having us. Oh, this is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have tons of fun, and with that <laughs> amount of outtakes I had at the beginning of this one, this is going to be a blast. <laughs> um, for everybody out there that's watching and listening right now and don't know who you are and how you got started in the industry, I thought it'd be cool if we could kick, kick off the podcast with a couple origin stories. So, uh, Denis, I'll start with you. How did you get started in this crazy little world we call the automotive industry? Well, mine's a little different. I uh, actually started off by repoing cars. That was my, uh, did collections, worked with Ford Credit. Uh, so I started my, my career on the OEM side and uh, worked out in Edmonton, Alberta at the National Service Center and uh, ended up having the opportunity to work on the credit desk uh, in our uh, reanalysis uh, department and really fell in love with F&I. Uh, and uh, always, it was kind of the odd one that I always said, you know, I was, Someday I'm going to work for a dealership. That's where all the action is. Um, had the opportunity to move back to Ontario, where my wife is from, and uh, had the opportunity to work for a wonderful little Mazda dealership for eight years as a business manager, uh, and uh, learned uh, learned the ropes that way. And I've been at SimTech now for just over six and a half years, so I've uh, been uh, about 20 years in the business. You know, once it gets in your blood, you just can't get it out, can you? It doesn't matter if you start at <laughs> OEM, then you go back to dealer, then you switch over to vendor. It's just it, it, it's, once it's in you, it's in you. Hey, Nicole, for yourself, how did you get started in the industry? I it was kind of by accident, like straight out of school. I just applied online to a job, and it was with BMW, so it sounded very glamorous. So I was pretty excited about that. I'm not gonna lie, and it was in a BDC. Uh, and that's kind of where it began. And pretty quickly, I got into F&I and I stayed there for about 10 years within F&I and, and made the move over to SimTech in uh, 2016. Uh, so most of my career has been within uh, within F&I, but like I said, 10 years in F&I and then a specialist and a district manager and, and so happy now to be uh, one of the facilitators with SimTech. It's very cool. I know. I think, I think a lot of us in the industry just kind of fell into this. Um, I got suckered into it by a roommate who uh, <laughs> who said, "You like selling stuff." I'm like, "Yeah, I like selling stuff." Well, you should come sell cars. And little did I know, he got like a $500 referral if I stayed for 90 <laughs> days or something like that. So, but I've, I've been in the business for a long time, and I thoroughly enjoy doing that. Now, one of the things I thought very interesting when I started in the business and today is when I started, I had like three or four weeks of training before I could even touch the floor. I mean, I seriously couldn't even walk onto a showroom and talk to anybody. And I remember the training very well because I'd go in in the morning and I'd go upstairs to this very old kind of musky smelling boardroom and you know, a gentleman there with a plaid jacket and plaid pants on would sit there and train us for days on end on what to say to a customer and how to say to the customer. And, and I will be honest with you, a lot of that was more training on me what I shouldn't do 
but it was training and there was a large commitment. I just feel like when I started in the industry, there was a large commitment around training. And I hate to say it, but as an industry, I think we've kind of strayed away from our training efforts. And I know that's going to be a big part of our conversation today, especially in the F&I department. And right now, gosh, can an F&I department be any more important to a dealership right now than I mean, any profitability that we can get anywhere is going to be key, you know, during this pandemic. And F&I seems to be kind of suffering through that. And I feel like we kind of have to go back. We have to kick it like old school and kick in our training. And that's where I kind of like to start off the conversation with both of you is, you know, what is your approach to successful F&I training? Because there's training, then there's successful F&I training. Absolutely. Nicole, I'll start with you. And then yeah, Danae, I'll ask you the same question. I think that's a really good question because the, the kind of key word that you use there was successful F&I training, right? So, you know, we've all been a part of some training where maybe someone had a ton of experience and they kind of spoke at us the entire time. And, you know, it was great to hear their experiences, but at the same time, maybe we didn't really get a ton out of it. So the first kind of core principle that we use when developing successful FNI training is always to think about it from the perspective of the person who's sitting in the seat, right? What's in it for the business manager? That's kind of the first and foremost sort of when we develop a class, we want to think, okay, what's in it for the person who's sitting across from me and building out from there in order to build value first. So once we've got down, okay, what do we want to achieve and how is it going to bring better success or better performance or whatever the objective is that we want to achieve in that training for the participant? Uh, all of our workshops uh, in terms of facilitator led workshops and F&I training are kind of built around a collaborative approach to training, which is somewhat counterintuitive to some of the training that many of us have been a part of in the past. Right. And so, like I said, like, you know, our team of people within the learning and development uh, center, as well as our field uh, training team have a ton of experience, but we don't want to take away from the person who's learning. We don't want to take away from their perspective as well, because they need to be able to see uh, training, F&I training from the world that they see it. Otherwise, it's not going to be successful, right? They can say, okay, well, They've never been in my store, in my neighborhood, with my customers, and we just want to eliminate that before it even exists, right? Um, you know, one of our core principles is none of us is as good as all of us, and we really, really do take that approach when it comes to training, and that's one of the reasons why it's been so successful and why we continue to be successful is because our training is a collaborative approach. We really like to pull from our participants, from our F&I managers, and get them to see any method that we're showing them in a way that really makes sense for them. Uh, another reason why it's successful is we, you know, with, with a lot of Denise leadership, as well as, you know, some great people within the team have focused our training on um, a learning style that our participants can absorb. So meaning that, you know, for some of us, it's been a while since we've been in school and so we don't take uh, a lecture approach to F&I training. We really want to make sure we've got all the senses. So they see it, they hear it. And the biggest part is that they're going to do it. And I think that's where things tend to stick is, yeah, they get to hear me talk all day long and we, <laughs> they can see us. When we're doing virtual training, unfortunately, we can't, you know, 
uh, bribe them with like desserts and sugar and stuff like that. So that sense I can't help them with. Um, but they're going to be doing, which means reinforcement, 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 and kind of, um, you know, getting those principles to become part of their uh, talk track or part of the, the way the world, that, the way that the participant sees it, right? So, you know, whether it was face to face or virtually, that's kind of been our core as to how we develop training. Um, what makes it so successful is in building value for the participants and then being able to see the performance afterwards is what really makes it all, you know, uh, stick there. And then, you know, the, I would say the real thing that makes it sick is how the field sales team just reinforces it consistently. No, it, the idea is not to train just for the sake of training. You know, which I, I hate to say, but there's a lot of dealerships that do kind of fall into that category. It's just like, I, I got a new F&I manager. What am I supposed to do? Train him? You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's, it's, but I think setting up that training and identifying that, that whiff them effect, that's that what's in it for them, you know, what's in it for me before I even get into the training. Cause you say the word training and you can see the body language on most people. They're like, uh, yeah, okay, that's gonna yeah. be fun, right? And I love the fact that, that you brought up about actually doing it, you know, because I think there is too much training out there where you're not actively doing it. I mean, when I was, when, when first dealership I worked at, um, you know, there was a lot of role play. I know people hate that word role play. Like it's, it's just, it's just, you, you, literally you say it to a group of people and they go, oh God, he's going to ask us to role play. Um, but, and, and I was like that too at the very beginning and I hated my manager. I hated my manager for having me do role play F9 scenarios with him. Like I hated it. Right. You know, but it's like riding a bike, you know, the more I did, it just became second nature and my presentation got strong i mean seriously strong so i'm with you on that hey denise i'd like to kind of get your thoughts on you know what is your approach to successful f and i training absolutely well nicole's a tough act to follow here she had some great points i, I i'm gonna add a few little things and, and reiterate I think, some of the some of the points that she had covered as well and so uh it's definitely um you know, we always talk about you got to meet people where they're at. We're we're working with business managers that are, are brand new. They're green in the in the business office. Uh, they're 18 years old. We've had people as old as 74 years old come through the class. Been business manager for 30 years. Um, so you can, you can imagine. Obviously, it's a bit of a different approach. So we, you know, another way to kind of look at it would be a golfer's approach, right? So we focus on the individual, meet them where they're at. Uh, try to help them. We, we, and obviously, you got to be able to measure and keep people accountable to, uh, to their progress. Um, you know, what makes F&I training successful? Well, bottom line, it's results. Uh, and I think that's, uh, that's key. We really, uh, the, the results speak for itself. Now, uh, a big part of that, we, and Nicole touched on this, is, is the quality of the trainers, qualified trainers. you got to have qualified trainers. Uh, and, and for us, we kind of, we have two kind of ways of looking at it. So we have our facilitators. We have three facilitators uh, in our learning and development center. Uh, Nicole Leonardo, we have uh, Jacqueline Dalmont, and we have uh, Madeleine Kitsi. So Jacqueline's our, our lead facilitator. Uh, and these are people that come with tremendous experience. And also, these are people that we plucked out of the field that, uh, you know, the old saying, well, those who can't sell teach, right? Uh, and, and that's definitely not our philosophy. We actually look to take some of the, the top salespeople uh, that we have and because they make the best teachers. 
uh, and within that as well too, when we're selecting our field, we're very, we have a high, uh, high level of, uh, it's a selection process that we go through when we're looking at bringing people on. Uh, we're looking at uh, people that can train. It's not just about being a salesperson and supporting your dealers, but it's also, uh, they're also trainers. So we have, when you look at it, when you add in, we probably got about, you know, close to 50, uh, 50 trainers when, when you factor in the field that we have, our facilitators. And, uh, and really, it's about keeping it simple. I, Derek Sloan uh, is always teaching us that, you know, when you're in a store and, and you're training, there's really just three things that you train on. So there's process, there's uh, product, and then there's people. So just depending on where they're at, uh, that's where you just kind of, that's where your focus is. Um, and so uh, another uh, acronym that I, we've been focusing a lot lately uh, is, is uh, something that I learned from Jim Quick wrote a book called Limitless, and it's, it's an acronym called FASTER. Great book, yeah. Uh, and FASTER, uh, without going too in-depth, uh, by the book. Uh, you can also Google it, and, and he'll break it down a little bit more. But FASTER stands for forget, act, state, teach, entry, and review. And so we get people that come in, and obviously we'll get a lot of experienced business managers that will come to our class. And so the key is, uh, you know, um, how does a parachute work at best when it's open? So we got to get people to kind of forget a little bit about what they know and to be open to kind of a new approach because our, our, our approach is different. Um, ACT is, is what you were talking about is it, it's so key that as you're learning to be able to commit any of that content from your short-term memory to your long-term is you actually have to implement it right away. So, you know, it's about everything that you're learning is just immediately start implementing it and learning it. Uh, state of mind. State is, I mean, you got to have the right mindset. Uh, and, and that's key. And then teaching, we always say, when you teach something, it, it gives you an opportunity to learn something twice. And so a lot of times we'll even challenge the business managers to uh, to take some of the content that they've learned, whether it's product knowledge or whether it's uh, process related, and to teach their sales time. Uh, because again, it's just another opportunity for them to, to learn it twice. And entry, what we talk about uh, the most powerful tool that you have is your calendar. And so uh, by, by actually scheduling time to do your training and that, you know, it doesn't have to be a long, we, we tell people 15 minutes a day, just, you know, to just commit to regular training um, and then review. Well, it, you know, you just got to be able to go back and review the stuff that you've learned and when you're constantly in reviewing uh, and when the, uh, our, our district managers come into the store on a monthly basis uh, you know, we're, we're constantly just trying to help them move that bar forward. So. Well, you know, I know we keep using the word training, but I mean, it sounds more like coaching with training into it. You know, I mean, I, I, th I think when most people out there that hear the word training, you know, they think of a, a book you know, that's got steps one through 14. And we're just literally just training on what the actual activities are to fulfill whatever the process is. But real training, um, and that's why I, th I see the word coaching and training kind of go hand in hand. You know, real coach coaching and training goes well beyond just teaching someone the activities that are required to fulfill the process, right? And it gets deep into it, kind of like what you were talking about. And that, that I'm with you. That that book is an amazing book. I anybody out there watching listening should absolutely go out and get get a copy of that. But that that so that kind of covers, you know, that with them, that what's in it for me, the 
the F&I manager, but, you know, I talk to a lot of dealer principals and, you know, I, I hate to, th- I hate to say it, but they look at training as kind of this single shot, you know, it's just like, it's something they do, you know, it's like, I got a new person coming in, so I'm going to spend a couple weeks training them and then that's it. Like they, 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 it's like two weeks, then it's kind of done. But you know, to your point, you know, Denis and Nicole, you were saying it as well. You know, this is something that, that's ongoing. Like this is not something that ends. I love the fact that Denis, you said that it's a fifteen-minute daily thing. It's a daily activity, not a two-week activity. So those dealers out there, you know, that are asking, you know, why is training important to them as a dealer? You know, how would you respond to that, Denis? Well, you know. The honest truth is that you're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. So we all, we have the illusion that we want to maintain, right? And and we can just maintain our status quo. You can't do that. You really have to to be constantly moving forward and challenging yourself. Um, Every elite athlete, and I love sports analogies. uh, uh, You know, for those of you that that don't like sports analogies, I'm sorry, but uh, uh, definitely this touches on the point, Jason, that you talked about uh, of a coach and trainer. You got guys like, uh, you know, I won't date myself. I'll maybe pull some people that are a little bit more current. But you got Connor McDavid's, uh, Kerry Price's out there, uh, Michael Jordan's. They all need a coach. They all need trainers. I mean, these guys are superstars out there. But they still need somebody that can look at things from a 40,000-foot perspective. And they can observe and then coach them on, on that. And so for a dealer, it's no different. I mean, dealers, I mean, you've been a dealer um, you, there's so many different revenue streams in the dealership. And, and if we take it, you know, from a macro perspective, it's not just F&I. I mean, you, you partner. So, you know, you need a partner. Bottom line, you need a training partner, somebody that is specialized in that, that, that can assist and, and provide that, that expertise. Um, and so, because then that way you, you want somebody that will, will keep the content and the training current and relevant. Uh, relevant. And, and, you know, we talked about the, the continual improvement and, really just comes down to accountability. You know, you, you've got to stay accountable to, uh, to somebody and, uh, and that's where uh, training is so important. Accountability is, is key to training. I mean, you, you can't just train someone on the activities that are required to accomplish something. You got to coach them through the efforts that are required to get better at it. But if, you know, that, that accountability is that kind of that last step, but it's a step that I, I hate to say it as an industry, we miss a lot. You know, I would love if more dealerships out there, and I've been in some some amazing dealerships that have operated like a professional sports team. Like they know everything. Everybody's held accountable, all right? It is completely tracked, all right? They know every up, every opportunity, every at bat. They know all that information. I hate to say it, a lot of dealerships don't. And it's the accountability part. It's, what is that ignorance bliss kind of a thing? You know, it's like, okay, I did my training. I got my partner. He's doing my coaching. And then... I'm good, right? But I mean, I think the leaders, all right, that that cream that rises to the top, all right, their core core element is the accountability part for sure. But this kind of goes into then, okay, so we have accountability, we have coaching, we have training, we're doing this on a regular basis, but it's like, how often should we do it? I mean, you know, I think there's people out there wondering, like, uh, Nicole, I'm going to ask you on this one, like, how often should you train? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And it doesn't have the most, I guess, straightforward answer other than like training is, is a lifelong journey. I know it sounds very cliche, but it, it really is true, right? You know, 
if you think about, you guys talked a little bit about athletes, like I love art, I love painting. So I think about anybody who's really good at what they do. They're constantly working at getting better, right? It's not, there's no metric as to, okay, once a week I'm going to do this. And once a week I'm going to do that. You have to be able to, to pivot because I think, you know, when you ask how often should training happen, you really have to think, well, how often does the automotive industry evolve? It's constant, right? Like things are always evolving. And if you, if you even think about the last six months, or I can think of my career in F&I, which, you know, is a 15 years is a relatively short, maybe sometimes some people think long period of time. But if you think about the changes that have happened, even within a very, very short period of time, and that put that into perspective of learning. And I know, like you said, training can sometimes not be viewed as the best word because it's it's like a certain period of time where learning and development is kind of more of a phrase to use because that would encompass your lifelong journey towards being a performing, whatever the case may be, performing F&I manager, performing dealer, performing athlete, performing artist, whatever the case may be. It really is kind of like that lifelong journey. And and when you think about the people who are the best of the best, they're always training and developing, right? They're always, they're always on their way to do that. So, you know, the other thing when you think about with coaching as well, yes, we talk about learning and development and how it's continuous, but my position as a facilitator is to be that catalyst for change, right? So sometimes we need that kick in the butt. Okay. We need to be able to start on a new path because what we what we've been doing is going to keep giving us what we've been getting right so now you're with me I'm your catalyst for change and a lot of times people think okay well training okay so once a year or two weeks whatever the case may be right but where Simtech has a unique proposition for our dealers is being able to give timely coaching afterwards and what I mean by timely coaching is that training happens on a continual basis because if it is once a year or if it is every six months, there's a good chance a lot of us, myself included, right, have started something, started out really, really well, and then over time just kind of started going back to the way things were and expected a different result, even though I was kind of doing what I've always been doing, right? So what our field team is allowing people to do is that giving that timely coaching. So when we kind of get away from true north and we're a little bit off when it comes to our process, they're there in real time to be able to pivot us back to what we know is giving us our, our prime and optimal performance, right? Because it is really common to see people come out of training and they're ready to go and their first deal or, you know, one of their first few deals, they're just, they're smashing deals. And then over time, it kind of starts to fall off, right? So training happens all the time. And learning and development, more importantly, happens all the time. And that's why our field sales team is so critical to that training is that they're there when we get a little bit off track to push us in, back in that direction. And, you know, um, Dini had us listen to some stuff with Jim Quick, and he, he used a really great phrase that resonated with me. And he said that learning is not a spectator sport. So you're not going to just kind of sit, sit back you know, come to a class for two weeks, the journey's over. And, you know, I never have to figure out anything new again. So that learning and training and development really is collaborative. It, there's accountable part of it as well, but it's just learning to practice to be a true professional. Because I think that when we think of training, yes, we think of our facilitators, our field sales teams, 
but we also have to think about the participant as well and, and our, our F&I managers and their journey to learning and that it never really ends. You know, Nicole, I love the fact that you said it's a journey because it really is. I mean, you know, I would consider it to be kind of a marathon that really never ends. Right. You know, you just you have to find your pace and then just kind of keep going with it. And, you know, I mean, th this is true for FNI training. Well, this is kind of true for kind of life in general, right? It's just that constant development of yourself. Now, I, I will have to say with today's technology, and the access that we have to information online. I mean, when I, I, I remember when I first started in this industry, like if you wanted to go to some of these, these training, if you wanted to get some training, you had to go to an event, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it happened once a quarter or maybe twice a year. And, you know, it was a, maybe a day or sometimes two or three days. You had to travel somewhere and you went in a room with two, 300 people. And then, you know, to your point, Nicole, you kind of mentioned earlier, you got jacked. You came back. I had the highest, you know, I had the highest dollar per, per copy that I've ever had. And then and it kind of came down. Right. You know, but I find now even with my own personal development and personal training, because I'm able to do so much of this virtually that I'm able to kind of maintain that level now of, of productivity, you know, where I don't have to go to these events and then get this big bang and then come off of it. I know we, for virtual training for you guys, it's a big part of your business. You're a leader in the industry. So I'd like to actually know a little bit more about that. Uh, Danielle, I'll actually start with you. You know, what is virtual F&I training and why is it important? Well, I think virtual F&I training is more than just a buzzword right now. It's, uh, some people look at it as, it's just a temporary uh, band-aid that we put on a problem that arises. Um, we actually see it as, as the new norm, and it's, it's a great way to, to, to reach more people. And so uh, why is it important? I mean, um, we, we've asked our business managers to, uh, you know, to adapt to, to virtual platforms. Well, we had to do the same. And so there was, there's a lot of learning for everybody right now. Uh, the, the key, though, with this and, and the thing to avoid is uh, what we call shiny new toy syndrome. Uh, and so... You start playing around with the technology and it's cool and there's all these cool things, but at the basis of it is still, you have to have a core process. And you've talked about this on previous podcasts, Jason, where the importance of process and leadership, well, it's no different when it comes to, to training is, is really to focus on that. And when you think about it, uh, we, we came to the realization, I mean, one of the, the things of our existence in F&I have always been phone turnovers, right? And this virtual, doing a virtual turnover now is actually the new phone turnover. So, you know, whether we, you never end up by having to do, uh, you know, virtual people are coming into stores, you can still use a lot of these techniques and a lot of these new skills to be able to reach out to those customers and be a lot more effective. Um, so, Nicole, then for you, you know, what is virtual F&I training and why is it important to you? Uh, so virtual training... For me, I think has just been such an empowering thing for our participants to kind of be a part of because now we're really allowed to, we're allowing ourselves to do more timely coaching. I think that, you know, what we talk about in class with our customers and our F&I managers is that time is our most valuable commodity, right? If we don't have time, we don't have anything else, right? So we, what this virtual training allows us to do is, is more quickly connect with our participants so that I can keep my coaching more timely. Our field sales teams can keep our coaching more timely. And it really has been an asset in terms of, 
empowering us and empowering our F&I managers to be in more close contact with one another and be able to coach in a way where we're not waiting for a flight or a hotel room or anything like that, that if there's something that we are um, experiencing, that we can have it done almost in real time for the most part. I've had, um, I'm fortunate enough to have a lot of participants that we still keep in contact with each other. And I, and I really love to be a part of their journey as they go on throughout their careers. So if they have a question now, we can do a quick video chat. We can um, really be engaged a lot quicker than making that triple. So I've, I've really found uh, virtual training to be a lot more empowering for me as a trainer because it allows me to connect so much quicker and, and still have that connection with my team. Oh, I think as an industry, we're so used to now connecting this way. It feels it feels comfortable, or or at least we're getting a lot more comfortable with mm -hmm. that. Hey, you know, Nicole, I've, I've been to a lot of training, um, virtually and in person over the years, and I have to admit, some wasn't worth the price of the paper of the ticket that uh, you know was sold you know so i'm just curious for, for everyone out there that's just kind of watching and listening and going hey this sounds cool you know you know what would or what will a business manager learn during that training so we we have many course offerings but first and foremost foremost we're a performance company right we are here to drive fni performance and so what business managers can learn in training is at its core uh, a collaborative approach to selling our approach to selling is low pressure, non-confrontational. It is a conversational approach to selling. And what we want our uh, business managers to achieve through whatever workshop that they're attending is to have a consistent and repeatable process that allows their customers to buy so that we don't have to do as much selling. And so when I'm in class, I always use the example of Whenever we buy something nice and shiny and new, because Denise talked about the new tiny, uh, shiny toy syndrome, right? So you buy something fancy and you go show it off to your friends, right? And the example I always use is, let's say you bought like a new TV. I think you can, my TV's back there, right? And you say, and I ask my participants, I'll say, do you say to your friends, look at what I bought? Or do you say, look at what they sold me, right? You're going to say, look at what I bought. People don't like to be sold. And a lot of times our approach as F&I managers, and this myself included, was very feature, 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 benefit, benefit, benefit. So what do I have to do to get you to sign today or something to that effect, right? And we really didn't build any value and we were selling and our customers can smell when we are selling, right? And automatically resistance is higher and we're going to have an uphill battle. So what we, what we achieve through our training is giving them tools so that they can approach customers, like I said, in a, a low pressure, non-confrontational, conversational and collaborative approach to selling or building value. And we give them tools and teach them uh, effective uh, tools so that they can eliminate a, a resistance, keep our customers kind of in the green, as we say, and really build value for our customers. And that's kind of the core of what all of our F&I training is really about. Um, is to keep resistance low, keep customers in a, in a great state of mind so they're making logical buying decisions with all the information that's in front of them, okay? Um, but training doesn't just end with me, right? Training is, like I said, the lifelong journey. And so that training 
continues in stores as well. And that's through a philosophy that I am very, very familiar with from my time in the field because I was a specialist as well as a district manager as well, which is to train by showing. And that is the glue that sticks it all together, right? So now you have a team of people that are behind you that don't just talk the talk, but they walk the walk and they'll sit in your chair and take a deal with your customers and your store and your neighborhood, right? We're like, oh, this doesn't work. Well, <laughs> let me show you how it works, right? So, and that's really where the buy-in happens, right? Um, a lot of my time in class is focused on your mindset. So giving you, you know, a lot of people think it's just the method, right? I'm going to sit there and I'm going to teach you word tracks for four days. You're going to be a robot and you're going to come out of it just, you know, like everybody else, you're going to sound like a robot. And the what participants learn and what business managers learn in training is not just the method. It's not just the word tracks. It's the, it's the mindset behind it. It's the why for them, right? But it also is the why for their customer. Like, why does this make sense? Why would someone buy from you? What's going to make you a high performing business manager? It's, and then turning it on them and getting them to find out well, what's in it for your customer? Why are they going to buy from you? What are you doing that's differentiating you or how are you building value for them? So what they'll learn in training is really taking themselves out of it. And once again, getting them to train where they're now thinking, okay, what's in it for the person sitting across from me now? And that's kind of the method that's behind the training and what we try to achieve. Uh, we have different course offerings that, uh, deep, they dive deeper into maybe certain concepts or modules or how to better eliminate objections. Um, but I'd argue we want to eliminate them before they exist. Well, anyways, you can come to class for that. But <laughs> regardless, there, there are different course offerings there as well. But our core really is um, our core of what they will take out of it is the attributes and the tools to be a high performing business manager. You, you know what? Um, right now, there's so much uncertainty in our industry. And, you know, there are two things that I am a hundred percent for any dealership to execute right now. All right. To ensure that they actually are going to, you know, come out of this, you know, on the other side, when we get to some new norm or whatever the hell it's going to be called, um, is we have to put the customer at the center of everything we do. Like, look in the past, it's been a good idea. <laughs> It's a good idea. You know, people go, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. You know, but now it's, it's, it's a mandate. Like it's a mandate. We have to put the customer at the center of everything. And the second, we're going to process our way to profitability. Like there's just, there, there's, there's no fancy new product or no fancy word track or there's no, you know, magic diet pill that's going to get dealerships, you know, into the area of being profitable again. And they're going to have to put the customer at the center and they're going to have to process their way to profitability. And it sounds like that's what a lot of your guys' training does. It's not just training on the activities, right? It's the, the training on the activities to fulfill the process and then the accountability so that the process actually shows that it's being worked. So, I mean, that's that that's big. That goes way beyond just here's a pamphlet and let me teach you the 12 things you need to know. Mm -hmm. um, now, I'm actually kind of curious, though, you know, what are some of the few courses that you guys do offer? Didn't uh, didn't y'all ask you? Sure. <clears throat> well, our two main courses, we, our core courses that we have are maximizing performance for business managers, part one and part two. Um, so part one is really the introduction to that concept that you're talking about. 
being customer focused, uh, learning the the process and, and the why behind it. It's not just about the methods like Nicole was talking about. It's really, we spend a lot of time on the psychology of, uh, of selling and, and, uh, and the new way of, of doing business. And we've been doing this for over 10 years now, so we can't really call it a new way of doing business, but it's really the right way of doing business. And so part one really is an introduction uh, to that. Um, but what's really important is we followed up with a part two class as well that really dives into the uh, advanced objection handling techniques. Uh, and that's, that's key, right? I mean, you've got to be able to, uh, to be an active listener with your customer. Uh, and this course kind of dives into that. We, uh, we have an OEM client, Volkswagen Audi, and we have a whole library of courses that we offer for them, not only instructor-led, but also uh, on e-learning modules. Uh, but two of the courses that were, uh, were actually three of the courses that we're really excited about. One, we just created a new virtual FI course. It's a three-hour course um, that we use as a bookend to our part one max class is what we call it. Um, but it, it's also a standalone course that helps our, our performance dealers be able to learn how to adapt the technology while still following your process and being successful through that. Uh, and the last two courses that, that we have uh, is special finance. I, I believe you just had a podcast not too long ago with Dina. Uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, she's an amazing uh, uh, expert in the industry in special finance. So we have a special finance offering that, that is getting a lot of demand. Um, and, you know, more so with, with the current situation. I think dealers are obviously be, becoming a lot more creative, but a lot of people were impacted uh, by, uh, by this recent pandemic. And so, uh, we know that uh, the predictions have always been that special financing will become a lot bigger. And I think a lot of, um, a lot of your franchise stores are realizing that they can get into that. And we, we try to help them transition into that and, and pick the, the best model that, that fits what they're looking for. Uh, and as well as hybrid. Uh, hybrid is a, is a new one right now uh, that has become it's a huge need, obviously, uh, where the industry is changing. Um, we're a salesperson, maybe in this, is not only for small dealerships, but we'll have also bigger dealerships that'll look at having the salesperson carry the process straight through to the end. Um, so, um, you know, we, we've been doing this for a little while. We've been piloting this, uh, this hybrid model. And, uh, and so we're constantly adapting and changing and, and uh, offering. So th those are kind of our core courses that we offer right now. That's really cool. I really dig the hybrid model. You know, I mean, for a lot of dealerships right now, you know, during this pandemic, you know, they've had to do a lot with a little. And I think for a lot of them, they've realized that, wow, I get a lot done, the fraction amount of people, you know, it's like, do I really need to have the customer talk to four different people just to purchase a car? You know, can, can, can I bring some of those people together, which, you know, kind of Nicole, you were talking about earlier about, you know, kind of creating that relationship and that communication and communicating the communication selling versus just selling because to your point, nobody likes to be sold. Right. You know, so like, I, I think that's really cool. I dig that one. Now, now, now who can attend these things? Can just anybody sign up? Well, it's because of our support model. And we, we talked about all of this, that it's not just a training. We're not just a company that makes money on just selling training. It's really about that support model. Uh, and so really it's, it's exclusive to our performance dealers. So uh, as, as a dealer uh, comes on board with us um, and we make a major commitment to support them on a monthly basis. Uh, we don't do the old coffee calls. When we're in doing the training, we're, we're in the dealership, whether it's virtually, uh, in, in, in person, we would, we're in a, a dealership for, for a whole day. 
we're, we're in service department training. Um, we're, um, you know, training the business managers, training the sales staff, training the managers, right, on the importance of, uh, of proper turnovers and, and understanding. And so really it is an exclusive offering that we offer to our dealers. Um, and it's just based on our model because of our, our commitment. Um, you know, our, our district managers, we limit their districts uh, to about 15 to, to 20 dealerships. And it's just to be able to commit that level of support, you uh, you know, it, it's, you can't have the, the, the typical 50 to 60 dealer account cases, right? So. No, I think that's really cool. I think it says a lot about your company. I mean, I, I do something very similar as well, right? I mean, a lot of people don't realize that I run a marketing agency, <laughs> but I do, <laughs> you know, because I spend so much time just consulting dealerships and that's the kind of content that I'm constantly putting out there. But I mean, I think for any company out there, right? It's not enough just to meet the customer's expectation. It's not enough that you guys just provide, you know, great product and services for F&I. It's like you met the expectation by providing them that, but how do you exceed that expectation? And I always see like good companies out there, the most successful companies out there, find ways to exceed that customer's expectation. And that's the additional value you guys are bringing in that training. I think that's totally cool. Now, now, now speaking of training, you know, there's there, there's a lot of tools out there right now. Um, I'm learning of new ones coming out pretty much like on a daily basis. So I'm just kind of curious for like for you guys, you know, what tools are you using to host your virtual F&I training? Um, Nicole, I'll start with you. Yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of start on the uh, classroom or facilitator led uh, virtual training because we recently are really, really excited. I'm really excited because we just started uh, utilizing or launching a new learning platform called Blackboard Collaborate. So I was not initially familiar with Blackboard Collaborate, but a lot um, in universities, it is a very, very popular platform because it really uses an approach as a virtual classroom versus like a web conference because <clears throat> people ask, well, why don't you use Zoom or something to that effect when it comes to online training? And why we decided to use um, Blackboard Collaborate is because it uses a virtual classroom, a virtual classroom platform rather than like a web conferencing or a webinar uh, platform. And it's really easy to use. I think when we first started researching which platforms that we wanted to use, uh, it was the easiest because you just click a button and then you're you're there. There's no downloading. There's no, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's really kind of pretty awesome to use in terms of the user experience. But what it allows us to do as facilitators is to interact really well with our participants and also to monitor that engagement kind of on the back end, which was a really cool tool that we wanted to make sure that we had. Because I think the misconception with virtual training is that it's like a webinar, right? You just sit there and you just listen and it's like talk 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 and you're on facebook or whatever the case may be but in order for any training to be successful you have to be able to do it you have to be like we talked about earlier right like having those those principles where yeah you see it yeah you hear it but you need to be able to do it and so that way we need to be able to interact with each other so this the first kind of cool challenge that we had is finding this virtual platform where we're going to get all that great interaction that we do in a face-to-face -face class and how do we translate that virtually and partnering with Blackboard Collaborate really allowed us to have that opportunity. Um, so when participants come to virtual-led training in terms of a classroom training, they're going to be able to enjoy all that interaction that they would 
in a face-to-face -face setting to the best of our ability virtually, right? So one of my greatest moments as a facilitator is always being able to kind of get that, to see that aha moment, right? To see when it kind of clicks and you're like, okay, they get what I'm trying to say. And so Blackboard really helps us move that along on like a new platform for a lot of us when it comes to learning. So we're able to match those engagement levels with polls and chats and whiteboards and breakout rooms, but it's a way that it's not um, intimidating in terms of technology. It makes it really easy where it's just one click kind of stuff. Um, and we're able to get that engagement a lot quicker than we would just like on a web call or, or um, a video conference type platform. So that's facilitators uh, side. Now, when it comes to field uh, sales training and how we do that virtually, we're a little bit more like platform agnostic, as they say. So we really want to meet our dealer where they're invested in terms of their um, preferred providers. Um, but we keep our uh, virtual training in the field relevant to whatever platform our dealers uh, choose, as long as they meet certain criteria. That's cool because that really kind of allows the training or the development of the training to kind of go side by side. You know, sometimes yeah. you feel like the virtual training is like maybe a little ahead of the actual in-person and kind of back and forth. That That's pretty cool. Um, now, the training is great. The engagement is so key for someone to actually consume and, you know, really get that information into their head. But now it comes to execution. And you know, this, this, like everybody has this problem. I mean, I like I, I would consider our, my, our, my business to do quite well at execution, and we still drop the ball. So it's that stickiness. It's that it's that that post classroom training. You know. So is there anything that you guys do there? You know, kind of after that, the post class training is that available? Absolutely. I mean, we alluded to it. Uh, I think a little bit a uh, little bit earlier. Uh, you know, there there's a concept called the forgetting curve. And, uh, and so anytime you learn something, I mean, it's uh, the industry standard for a lot of seminars that you go to is if you maintain or retain 15% of the, the content, that's a successful seminar. That's, it's crazy when you think about it, but it's because of that forgetting curve. And that's why um, our whole company, it's really part of our philosophy. And it's, it, it, everything is built around this. And so what we do, we talked about, Nicole talked about training by showing. That, that is critical, and that's why our field really helps support that post-classroom training. And it's so key that we're in there as soon as they come out. You know, the, the facilitators, uh, you know, uh, Nicole alluded, the catalyst of change. Uh, really, I mean, they're, they're learning the new methods, but they're really changing their mindset as far as how the FNI process should be done. And we have to support that so quickly. And that's why we, we can confidently uh, claim that, you know, our, our participants, once they come out of class, that they retain over 85% of the material that they've learned within that five-day class. Uh, and, and a lot of that is, is, is because of the training by showing we're, we're supporting it immediately post-training. Post so, Nicole, this, I got this one's for you. I mean, how do you, how do you reinforce what is taught? Because everybody's got a different idea on this, right? And they all have a different philosophy. Um, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it. I'm just kind of curious for yourself, you know, how do you re reinforce what is taught? Absolutely. So we really just got to bring it back to the basics of learning and adult learning, because I think most of us would agree that like how we learn as an adult after all of our experiences and, and all the things that we've learned along the way is going to be different than it would be for someone who doesn't have those experiences. Right. 
So really when it comes to reinforcing, it's breaking it down based on the principles of adult learning that are proven within any industry. How do you, how do adults learn? And it kind of goes back to what we, we spoke about earlier, which is, yes, we have to be able to see it. We have to be able to hear it and we have to be able to do it because how we learn, um, we may have a predominant learning style. Like some people may more be more visual learners. Myself, I'm more of a uh, auditory learner. So more by listening, that's kind of my style. Some people have to do it, right? They have to touch it. They have to feel it. But the thing to keep in mind is that all of us have a little bit of everything, right? We're all going to have some bits of those learning styles. And so that's why when it comes to reinforcement, when we approach learning uh, in, on the classroom level, is that we have to make sure that we um, are able to get to as many audiences and learning styles as we can as quickly as possible. So that's why, you know, within our workshops, there's a lot of um, there's some there's some lecture, there's some listening, there's there's a lot of doing uh, breakout uh, groups, things of that nature. And Denise made a really good point. What reinforces it is we want. When you have to teach someone something else, you have a whole different level of engagement, right? So when we have our participants say, okay, let me introduce you to a concept and now I want you to teach the rest of the class. That brings on a whole leather level of reinforcement, um, which really keeps the accountability there, right? Can't be passive. Learning's not a spectator sport, right? So we wanna make sure that they're in the driver's seat when it comes to their learning and development. And that's kind of how the reinforcement happens in the actual classroom. And that's how we get some of those, um, you know, high retention levels when it comes to the material. But once again, the glue that keeps that reinforcement that sticks everything together is the ongoing field support, right? So, um, you know, we've all had a test that we studied really hard for, right? We studied, studied, studied. And then the minute we wrote the exam, it like it just disappeared, right? Okay. So we don't want that to happen. And that's why the field sales support is really what keeps that reinforcement going, right? So the learning doesn't end in the classroom. And by having the support of field sales, and that includes myself and all of us as facilitators, um, our participants, our business managers, and our dealers, our partners are really able to embrace it as their process. You mentioned earlier, you know, how it becomes second nature. And that reinforcement in second nature is through that ongoing field sales support. As a facilitator, I'm also part of um, creating train the trainer classes. So our field sales team as well is well versed on those principles of adult learning. So how they train within the field is utilizing those principles as well, just so it's always a well-rounded experience for our dealers. And we can, you know, quickly, time's not on our side a lot of the time with our customers as well. So we want to make sure that we can quickly and efficiently reinforce those principles. You know, I mean, to, putting my dealer principal hat on right now, um, I just loved everything you just said right there. Because, I mean, look, I, I, as a dealer principal, I invest a lot of money and time into people. Like a lot, you know? And, 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 and I do it because I have a goal and objective of providing an amazing experience for, for, for the customers, right? But, you know, I, I need that to stick. It's gotta, it, it's gotta continue. So it's, it, I, I, I hate that one and done type concept. So I'm so glad to hear that it's not your guys' approach, but I think there's a lot of dealerships out there right now um, that are listening or watching this right now. And they're shaking their heads up and down going, yeah, 
I'm with you guys. This this is the investment you need to make. And this is a great time, by the way, to make that investment. You know, there is a bit more time I feel like we have to complete the transaction. There's one cool thing with doing a lot more virtual turnovers is that it's not, um, you, you don't have three and a half minutes to prepare for this person to come into your office. You, there's this preparation that kind of goes along into it. But I'm curious, you know, what, what, what are three training tips you can give to a dealer that may be listening or watching right now? Denise, I'll ask you this. This one well i mean you really got to find a qualified training partner that's number one that's where you get to start. i mean you uh, what's a what's the definition of a good partnership is uh is where both parties have as much to lose right and so uh that's that's what's key is is how much is that partner willing to invest as much as you're willing to invest and, and so that's the number one tip uh, definitely you know, uh, that i recommend Number two is, you know, I think of a Albert Einstein quote, you know, he says, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. So you've got to be open-minded. You've got to, you've got to change. You've got to be open to change. And where does that change start? It might start with you. It's, it's top-down change. It's a dealership change. And that leads into really kind of maybe the third tip is you've got to create a culture for training within the entire store, not just an f and Every department, whether it's your technicians, service department, uh, and, and that culture is a top-down, top-down thing. And it's got to be, you got to create that culture and the expectation that, that it's continuous training. And so I think those are three, three good areas to, to start with. I love the fact that you said culture because it really is right. We've talked, we've touched on this multiple times through this entire podcast. And in fact, if there's, you know, we were talking about that, you know, you only consume 15% of the information. You know, if there's one thing you were to take away from this entire podcast, anybody who's watching or listening right now is that training needs to be a part of your culture. It's not a good idea. Okay. It is a mandate within your culture because the customer expects that experience you have to train to give them that experience. Um, I know it's getting towards the tail end of our time today. Thank you guys so much for jamming with me. But before I let you go, I get to ask you one more question. It's my favorite question. And I prepped you for it, so I have high expectations. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> all right, Denise, I'll, I'll start with you and then Nicole. I'll ask you the same question. All right, if you could change one thing in this industry, what would it be and why? You know what? It always comes down to customers putting the customer first. And, uh, you know, some dealers do this very well. Um, you know, and I think when we focus on the customer, you, you look at uh, other industries, uh, you know, disruptors in, in, in the marketplace. Um, the reason why they become disruptors or they've had such a quick foothold and success is because they fixed a problem that was customer focused. Uh, you know, without naming names, is that you know there are a lot of companies out there that you know you look at the taxi services, you look at something that a process was so kind of broken that a solution was put in place with the customer in mind and it fixed that problem. And so that that's the biggest thing is just that mindset towards change in our industry. And you know what, I have seen some dealerships execute that mindset incredibly well, and I will tell you what's really cool about executing that mindset is they're also probably the most profitable dealerships that I actually know as well. It's amazing. We put the customer first and we're more profitable. Crazy concept. Nicole, for yourself, what is one thing you would change in this industry and why? 
I think I would say seeing more cohesiveness within the dealership. I think that a lot of the time we're all kind of our own separate little worlds. And the one thing I learned in a BDC is that we are all a function of the body. So one department might be the brain, one's the heart, one's the liver, but if we don't all work together, it all falls apart, right? So I think I would say more cohesiveness within the dealers. I am totally with you on that one, Nicole. I mean, I have been in some boardrooms where the new, dar- the new car department hates the service department. The service department hates the parts department because they gouge them. And then the F&I department hates the new car department because they can't put their paperwork together properly. I, I'm uh, with you again. Um, when we're talking about you know true leadership and you know cream rises to the top, again, mm-hmm. some of the best dealerships I've seen out there have exactly that, where they operate as one body, like you were saying, Nicole. Hey, uh, thank you guys so much uh, for doing this with me. This has been a lot of fun. But before I let you go, um, for everyone out there watching and listening and would love to connect with you too, what is the best way to do so? Denis, I'll start with you. Yeah, well, you can find me on LinkedIn uh, or just by emailing me. It's my first name, Denis.Bushia, my last name, B-U-S-S-I-E-R-E, at simtech.ca. Let's see this way. Awesome. And Nicole, best way to connect with you? Same. LinkedIn. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn. And my email address is the same as my name. So Nicole, N-I-C-H, Nicole with an H, O-L-E, dot Lunardo, L-U-N-A-R-D-O, at simtech. SYM.TECH.CA. Awesome. Hey, thanks guys so much for taking the time to jam with me today. You have yourself a wonderful day. You too, dude. Have a great day.